creative people generally are very open, very, I guess, not rigid uh, is a good way of putting it. So yeah, you have this mindset of thinking like, well, I don't want to miss out on opportunities. I don't want to you know, miss out on, on the possibilities of things by restricting myself to a specific niche. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome back, everybody, to another episode. We're here today, Marlon, Daniel, and Tom, myself. And we are going to talk about a book. We're going into this format of uh, doing book reviews. And this is a book that is near and dear to our hearts. And we're going to dive into it. We're going to split it into two episodes. So this is the first half of, of the book. And then we'll get back into it in another episode. And the book that we have chosen to kick off these book reviews is going to get a drum roll, guys. The Win Without Pitching Manifesto Ta-da! by Blair Inns. And this is a book, I believe, Marlon, you showed me this book. Also, it might have been from um, Christo of the Future. Um, I've heard about it from a few different people. And I think of it as the Marlin Manifesto, as well as the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Uh, there's something about the way it looks and the way that the author speaks and the way that you talk about it. It just seems like it's part of, it's part of who you are. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I, that's the first time I hear you saying that. Explain. Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Is that accurate? So you mean like because the the author talks similar to me? Well, or... I mean, yeah, for one, I can definitely hear like you could be the narrator for this book, but yeah. also just the way that it looks, you know, it's got this like sort of the, the way that it's designed. Mm-hmm. I just think, I don't know. I just think of Marlon. It's got this like, it's a, it's a nice hardback book. The lettering is like this shiny red lettering on a black background. It's just slick. And the things that he talks about too, it's like, I feel like that's your philosophy as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a great book. And actually you read it before I did. So I was, I, I heard about the book ah, from like okay. uh, the future, right? And most of what they were talking about, they always were referencing that book and then without even reading it, I thought like, I mean, they quoted a lot of parts from that book. So I knew kind of the content of it already in parts or the gist of it, right? The, the, the theme of the book. And I was agreeing with a lot of that stuff as well. And um, it's, I guess that just underlined the fact that you had to read it. And then you read it first, I remember. And you said, yep, that's a great book. That's really good. <laughs> and then I read it as well. And now we're putting it into this first episode of this book club format well that just goes to show you how great my memory is but yeah i think this is one i do remember reading it a little bit back in the day a few years ago and it certainly helped me with my sales process and i think it's one that's always good to come back to so i'm glad we've selected this one 
Mm-hmm. Daniel, was this your first experience with this book? I was actually, you know, listening to future uh, videos myself and watching them. And that's where I heard uh, about this book first. But then, yeah, mm-hmm. you guys uh, referenced that in one of our meetings. So I literally just bought it like, I think, three weeks ago, even before us discussing that we'll, we'll be, you know, doing this for the podcast. So it's a great book. Nice. nice. It's like a Bible. Yeah, it does have a sort of like sacred text style <laughs> to it. I mean, even the name, Win Without Pitching Manifesto, the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got this like interesting little graphic above the author's name. What do you even call that thing? Is that, you see what I'm talking about on the book, this thing? Yeah. Are these initials? I don't. I don't even own the physical. Is it like a WWP? Is that just like win without pitching? I don't know. That could be. It's interesting, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a well designed book, and it's aimed at creatives clearly. And yeah, it documents uh, twelve the twelve rules, the twelve tenets, the twelve. He calls it the twelve proclamations of winning without pitching, and so. We're going to get into the first six of these proclamations. And if you have any experience with, uh, you know, attempting to get new business, a lot of these, a lot of these proclamations and a lot of the examples that the author Blair ends gives about kind of not following these proclamations, uh, you might be familiar with, with this experience. So we're going to get into each one of these. Mm-hmm. And... I guess, do we just want to read out the first six proclamations to start? Yeah, sure. We can, we can, we can do that. Cool. Marlon, I'll, uh, I'll let you take that. All right. Okay. So preach. I'll <laughs> preach you guys something. Okay. So the first one, so we read out first all the six we're going to go through today, and then we can go deeper in the first one, the second one, and so on. Mm-hmm. So the first one is we will specialize then we will replace presentations with conversations. The next one is we will diagnose before we prescribe. Then we will rethink what it means to sell. Then we will do with words what we used to do with paper. And the sixth one, I guess, is we will be selective. Yes. The first six of 12 proclamations of the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. And what I also like about the beginning of this book is that he starts off with a definition of what it means to pitch on the first page here. So uh, pitch is a verb, and the definition that Blair Inns provides is to attempt to sell or win approval for one's ideas by giving them away for free, usually within a competitive buyer-driven process. And there's no emphasis here, but I'm going to put my own emphasis on buyer-driven process. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, you might be familiar with this if you're a freelancer or if you run a small, uh, some sort of creative agency where, you know, you submit a proposal to a new client and chances are the client is going through, uh, you know, a dozen of those types of proposals and you're just one of many. And... That's not what 
Blair Inns would recommend as the best process to acquire new business. And he talks about this throughout the book. So as Marlon mentioned, the first proclamation of the Win Without Pitching Manifesto is we will specialize. And I think this is something that, you know, you hear a lot of from all sorts of business coaches, um, business influencers is, uh, you know, find your niche, specialize, you know, acquire expertise in a specific industry with with specific, you know, deliverables. And that's where the book starts off. We will specialize. Yeah. And it makes sense because he comes from the perspective of um, expertise, right? Like he underlines the fact right from the start, like that expertise is the one thing that sets you apart from everyone else. It's not, the, it's not your personality. He says it like, it's not your personality. It's not your process. It's not the price. It is the expertise alone. So how do you gain expertise, right? You gain it by repeating over and over a certain thing and gaining expertise and knowledge in a certain area. So niching down basically is the one thing he stresses here with the first one, like specialize in a certain area with your business. And uh, I, I remember like for us, that's probably also something we need to work on as well, like still kind of going deeper into that topic as a business. Because I remember us having a lot of conversations about that in the beginning, like uh, like how to specialize in something and what is it actually that we want to specialize in. Um, what sets us apart, right? Like, what is that area of expertise? And it can be Absolutely. hard for it can be hard sometimes because you maybe your initial reaction is like, I don't want to, like, I, especially as an as a creative person, right? And which is which this book is actually aimed towards to mostly like you don't want to specialize, you want to do a lot of different things, and you have the fear of if you specialize. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you have the fear of but what if I specialize? Like, don't I lose out on so many other things that could be nice and challenging, right? Like, isn't that going to get boring? Like doing the one thing over and over again, right? That's probably some of the like pitfalls you will have on the way. At least that, that was for me as well once I started reading the book. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, it, I think you're right. You know, as like creative people generally are um, very open, very... I guess not rigid uh, is a good way of putting it. And so, yeah, you have this mindset of thinking like, well, I don't want to miss out on opportunities. I don't want to, you know, miss out on, on the possibilities of things by restricting myself to a specific niche. And while that might seem like good logic up front, um, it really just puts you in a place where you're not, um, you your expertise is not identifiable you just you're essentially like commoditizing um your your services so the first passage here is a good look at why it's important to specialize one thing that he mentions is the legitimate alternatives to the offerings of our firm you know the availability of substitutes you know, the availability of other options, of other freelancers that are similar to you or of other, um, you know, agencies 
that are similar to you. It is that availability that allows a client to pick and choose and allows a client to ask you to give your advice away for free. If there, if if you have expertise and if you have specialization, the number of options that the client has that are equal to or on the same level as you are diminishes. And so you no, are no longer in a position where you have to pitch, you have to offer your advice up for free, and they essentially take it or leave it. Um, so it's, it's a, it should be the first proclamation because, as Marlon mentioned, you know, from our experience, not specializing, um, continuing to kind of try and do anything for any industry um, can, can put you in a place where your expertise, your, your perceived expertise is, is called into question. And so if you really, if, if you know, you can, kind, you can try and pick and choose from these proclamations, but it, they, they tend to fall apart a little bit if you don't have that specialization. And so an example would be, you know, like a business that says, you know, like, oh, we, we build websites. That's what we do versus a business that says, you know, like we build sales pages for fitness influencers on Instagram. Like essentially like that's the difference between being specialized and not being specialized. And that's just an example. I just kind of like made that up, but having that sort of specific way of describing what you do it, it 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 positions you as the expert when a client then fits that that positioning now you have it's more likely that there's going to be a fit here um that puts you in in a in a framework that is beneficial for you rather than one that's just you know all about the the buyer yeah also uh one common objection to this is that like when you close all the doors and just leave one door then you'll have less business so like when you just start out you accept business from everywhere like whatever it is a church uh, a cinema or whatever else but when you specialize uh, the paradox that he mentions in the book is that even more doors are opening after you like go into the door that you selected that you niche down to mm. right it's Things probably helpful. you might not even yeah. recognize at first you know are, are going to new opportunities will will arise right it's probably helpful to not think of it as like i'm closing myself off but like or like maybe you think of it like shrinking your opportunities right like if you see it on the map or something you shrink the area you can actually access but i think good way to see it there is a whole new area behind it that will expand like that it's not like it's it's not shrinking it's actually expanding in a whole different way you might not be able to think of at the current state right yeah assuming right you're like you're zooming in you're not shrinking you're you're zooming in you're getting more specific right and there's a whole new thing in that zooming in that comes comes about right exactly that's a good way of looking at it so yeah please specialize that's that essentially is the is the keystone for being able to be perceived and to legitimately be an expert in something is to have uh specifics around the work that you do yeah definitely and then you can command the higher price and also 
kind of have the sales leverage where you know you're the expert in something and if the client is looking for something uh, like like in his area if you're specializing in his field he'll choose you over the other options absolutely and also you know if you're looking at it from the perspective of like building a client base building a, a base of you know referrals and testimonials and things like that if you're look if you're talking to a new client that is in a specific industry and you have over the last year or however long you know built up a collection of clients in this industry and and have a proven track record with them then again it it just gives the client um a a perspective on why you're the obvious choice here mm. um rather than you know if you just have like if they ask for your work and you just have like all sorts of of examples of things across industries and different types of projects then it's not they don't necessarily they can't really see you as being like a good fit necessarily even if your work is really good like even if everything looks like really nicely designed and and works well um so that's another reason why specialization is important yeah he also talks about i think by the end of it he talks a lot about like control control in the engagement with the client and mm. that specializing in a specific field brings you a certain level of control right from the start which is only beneficial to you because you want to lead the engagement right you're the person that's leading the back and forth between client and yourself which then allows you to to gain the sales advantage and charge a higher price stuff like uh, daniel already mentioned and uh yeah so that's always beneficial to you because over time that control will diminish in the client relationship it is the strongest at the beginning when the client needs your help and then it kind of slowly diminishes over the period of the engagement so starting out with as much control as possible is always beneficial and that allows you to or specializing allows you to have that much control definitely Definitely. So I think, can we move on to the second proclamation? Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Number two, we will replace presentations with conversations. So, um, yeah, you know, a lot of times what's part of a pitch is presenting your advice, your thoughts uh, to a client in some sort of PowerPoint format or, you know, maybe just like a... Um, you know, something that you send over to them, a proposal. And this is something that Blair Ends describes as damaging, not going to help your case. <laughs> I think one, one quote is pretty cool, like something I wrote down, wrote down as well, a um, short one where he says, like, practitioners do not present, stars do not audition. Mm. Nice. Practitioners do not present, stars do not addition. Damn. So, I mean, yeah, which is true, right? You don't want to, you want to be the star. Like as a business, you don't want to audition all the time. You like, and the question I think is important, or it's, it's important to ask, like, why do you feel the need to pitch all the time? Why do you feel the need to present all the time? As a as a as a business, right? As an agency, and uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, 
I think that, you know, a lot of times it's like you're coming from this framework of, of trying to convince the client, right? And so like that, that presentation, that pitch is like your attempt at convincing them like, hey, we're the ones, you know, here's why you should work with us. And again, this goes back to the first proclamation. If you have specialization, if you have established that expertise in the beginning, then you're not in a place where you're like scrambling to convince them that like, you know what you're talking about and you're the ones to go with. Mm -hmm. um, again, you, you know, in having that conversation, it becomes like this two-way street. You're not just talking and, and they're just listening. It's like you're, you're listening to them talk about like, you, you ask, you start to ask things like, okay, so why are we here? You know, what, what makes you feel like, you know, you need to get this project done? And they, you start to see a little bit deep, you, you, you dive deeper into the reasons why, you know, a project, this, this, the project that you're, you're talking about is potentially going to happen. And that, is also important having conversations is also important because the more time that you spend talking with a client or a potential client the more likely it is that that's going to develop into business that you're 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 essentially starting a relationship so if you're just you know getting a request for proposal and then presenting that proposal you're really not spending any time with that potential client. But if you're sitting down with them or like having a phone call with them and, and digging a little bit deeper into the reasons why they want this work to get done, every time you do that leading up to the actual signing of a contract, that gives them a little bit more time to invest in you know, what your business is and who you are. And so having that happen, having those conversations happen, just increases the likelihood that they're actually will turn into a client. Yeah. Right. And in this conversation, you're just, you know, finding out uh, everything about their business that, that contributes to the fact that they want this uh, project to be done. And also just seeing if there is a fit, like you have to come in as, you know, uh, confident and, you know, you have to know your value before you come into the conversation and just see if there is a fit of you working with, uh, you know, that business. So you can't really be scarce in the resources while doing this. It's better to, you know, have some base and be willing to lose the client if that's not the right fit. Mm. It's funny that you, I mean, I asked the question at first, like, why do you feel the need to present, to pitch all the time? Or yeah, what put you on that path in the first place? And he mentions kind of it is like this 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 addiction to this feeling, this rush, this adrenaline that to put yourself in this position of like you're preparing something and then the big reveal and then it's yes or no, right? And you do that over and over and over again with every new client. And uh, he kind of says like we need to step away from that feeling. We have to become very unemotional about that. Like it's not that's not how it should be, right? Right. Yeah, and part of that is because again, like uh, you know, as as a creative or as someone that you know is just good at what they do, you know, you you have this 
you might have this this thought process where a client gives you a scope of work and you're like, oh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna like really wow them mm-hmm. with this presentation. I'm really gonna like knock their socks off, you know, when I show them what I'm capable of. Exactly. And again, it's it's coming from this place of like needing to like validate your work. And again, going back to the first proclamation, if you have expertise, if you have specialization, um, there's no like you you're not validating your work at all. You don't have to, you know, that's not part of like the process of you're not having to prove yourself. When you're having a conversation with the client, you're you're digging deeper into their problems so that you can provide the best solution possible. Yeah. It's funny how that is an ongoing cycle as a creative. Like you have that need, all, many creatives have that need to to be reaffirmed, right? Like, yes, I, I do a good job here. Yes, this is good work, right? So they, they hold back as long as possible on, on the work that they do. They, they see this whole, creating this whole pitch, right? Or the proposal as a whole piece of art, right? And then right. uh, they're afraid to show or like even communicate with the client before they have that document ready, right? They need to have that first as beautiful as possible and then pitch it and then tell me you like it, please. Like that, right, right. that need to be, uh, to be accepted by the other side, right? But that of course, that, that of course, uh, well, that leads to the point where you give up, give up the, the power, right? Like the, the power again, the power we talked about before, like, because then you present something and the, the, the client is in the position now to, yeah to push you away or say like, nope. Right. And so having, you know, having those conversations as the second proclamation, um, it leads nicely into the third proclamation, which is we will diagnose before we describe, before we prescribe, we will diagnose before we prescribe. And that's kind of what I was mentioning previously is like, when you start to ask the questions of like, Okay, what brings us here today? You know, like what? Why are we having this conversation about this potential work? You know, what? What exactly are your needs? Um, when you start to learn more about what the problem is that the client has, um, before you actually give them any solution, um, that's when you can really um, demonstrate to them that you know what you're talking about. Because a lot of times, you you know, you just want to. You just want to like give a solution, you know, give, give the, an example of like the work that you do, give them an idea of how much that'll cost and then like let them make a decision. Um, but yeah, getting to know their exact needs, what their problems are um, before you really give them a prescription for that problem um, is essential. Yeah. I think the most interesting part or like what stood out to me in this chapter was comparing comparing your role as a designer or agency or creative to the role of a doctor or a lawyer or accountant, right? I mean, they find themselves in this situation on a daily basis in this situation where they get a client or a patient, right? And the patient knows or the client knows already their problem, right? So your role is to listen to listen but then to prescribe a solution to that right like to ask questions to still be the to still have the power and still know you have the expertise you have the 
more expertise than they have to to prescribe a certain thing. But you ask questions all the time to figure out what it actually is, what they're suffering from, or what the problem is, right, in their situation. Right. Yeah, they they might be aware of what some of their symptoms are, and they might right. describe them to you, and you know, and you listen to that, and then you ask further questions to get a you know it, to see if there are any other symptoms, if if what they're talking about is really accurate, or maybe you'll you know discover um, some new things that you have to prescribe solutions for. But again, you know, going off of that second proclamation, it's like a conversation, you know, and and also what this does is you're already becoming a team. You're already becoming, you know, like instead of facing against each other, where it's like you're somebody, you're like you've you've pitched this, you know, you you've sent in a proposal and uh, you know, they are deciding whether or not you're the right fit. That's a big part of that is going to be like what the cost is and what the potential um return on that cost of the project is and it's not a place where you and the client are like a team you know the client wants to spend their money appropriately and as a business or as a freelancer you know like you want to be paid adequately and so like you can almost see how like that those you're kind of working against each other there but if you're coming from this place of having the conversation you know seeing what the client's symptoms or needs are and figuring out what the solutions are for that, you're already like aiming in the right direction, so to speak. You're already forming, you know, the team together mm-hmm. rather than kind of like pitting yourself against the client, if that makes sense. Right. It's also about, you know, feeling the responsibility in the conversation to steer the client in the right direction and, you know, come up with a solution uh, together with them. You because it's very often that you know the executor of of the task the designer or developer or whatever just says like i was i was doing just what i was told and i got money for it and instead if you're responsible and you know thinking with the client about the result that he will get at the end of the engagement you know he will be seeing you as a responsible person for the actual outcome and also you'll be able to you know uh charge uh, a premium for it and and the client will be uh feeling that you really are worth the price because you know you're together with him and you're promising the outcome definitely yeah it's definitely. another part i think then he mentioned in this chapter which i liked and, and this is more towards design so but i, I think it can be applicable to everything you mentioned like design is not the solution it is the process Mm. so he argues then like we cannot be really effective designers if we allow the client to impose his process on us right so when it comes to these situations where they say okay i know my problem let me tell you like this is how we need to fix this so i'm looking for somebody to just execute like you're not very like you're not effective as a designer in this situation anymore. You're not really responsible as a designer because they put their process onto you. Yeah, they're designing, really. Yeah, exactly. And you're and you're just like, you know, drawing. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. Any final thoughts on this proclamation? 
Yeah, right. So, you know, the outcome could look like, you know, increasing uh, the traffic by 20% or like, you know, increasing the brand engagement, something like right. that, something tangible. Right, yeah, the design's not that outcome. Like what you've designed is not the outcome, but like what right. that design gives to the client is the outcome. Right. Cool. Proclamation number four. We will rethink what it means to sell. So a lot of times I think when people imagine sales, they think of like a used car salesman, or they think of like somebody who's like really slick, you know, and kind of like maybe not the most trustworthy and maybe like is pushy you know, trying to convince you of something that you're not sure of, right? And yeah, as creatives, a lot of times, you know, we we have this sort of unease with selling. You know, we we don't really want to like sell ourselves or sell our services. And Blair gives a uh, an example of two different salespeople, and one of those is more similar to what I just described. That sort of that sort of pushy individual. But then there's another one who, instead of, you know, being so intent on getting the sale, what they're really looking for is just seeing um, how they can help you, you know, seeing if, if they can help you to begin with. And that's the way that he wants you to rethink about sales. It's like sales is essentially figuring out how you can help the client the best. Right. I like how he phrases it. He says, like, selling is about determining a fit between the buyer's need and the seller's supply, and then facilitating a next step. So he doesn't see the, he actually says, like, okay, salesperson, he just doesn't want to use that term. He wants to see the salesperson more as a respectful facilitator, which I really like. It's, and which is in alignment with what you just said. Like, unfortunately, we have this cliche idea of a salesperson. But that's not good selling. That's selling is not persuading, right? Selling is facilitating and uh, doing it respectfully as well, and figuring out the fit between what you have to offer and what they're looking for, right? Right. So he says uh, replacing uh, the um, persuasion with uh, helping the mm -hmm. unaware, uh, inspiring the interested, and reassuring those who have formed intent. I think it really nicely summarizes how you have to think about selling. And, you know, you have to realize that selling is an essential part of business. And that's something that you have to be even proud of. Like, you know, you just have to embrace the selling. That's a normal operations. Uh, the same way you embrace designing or development or whatever you do, you have to embrace selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned like persuasion. Daniel, because I think a lot of times, yeah, you know, like people think of like, oh, I'm persuading, you know, the, the client into, into picking us. And like he mentions, you know, this idea of facilitation, it's like almost like a checklist. It's like you're, you're, you're a guide, you know, you're, you're just taking this client along, along the pathway of figuring out exactly what their needs are and, and seeing the fit between their needs and, and what you offer. And I think a, a, a good term there, and I'm not sure if he actually mentions this, but it just came to mind for me, 
is like delivery. Like that's what you're doing is like you're delivering the client to the solution that the, you're delivering the solution, but you're like taking the client there from the place where like they just have their needs and you're delivering that to them. Mm. Yeah. Also, Danny mentioned the, the, the three different stages he mentions, right? Like the unaware, the interested, and then uh, reassure those who have formed intent. I like the idea of also being aware of how aware the customer is, right? Like what's their awareness level right now? Um, are they completely unaware? Are they interested in something or, or they need assurance, right? And then having that specific buying cycle and always knowing where the customer falls into that. And then it, it fits so well because then you're the facilitator of, it is kind of like a, kind of like a doctor or something, right? You, you figure out exactly where they are on the spectrum and then you, you really try to help them um, get to the next stage or get to a point of where you can deliver or where they can see the end product of the solution, right? Where you both arrive at the same point. Yeah, right, definitely. And like, you know, so, you know, like you mentioned, the three, the, the three different types or the three steps in the art. Mm -hmm. um, inspiring the interested, you know, and he, what he mentions here is like the best tool for that is your portfolio, your body of work. And again, going back to specialization, if your port portfolio is filled with similar, like clients that are very similar to this potential client and great results that you've provided for clients that are, that he, this client can see themselves being, then that's the, the best way to inspire them. I also really like um, this, this last concept of reassuring those who have formed intent and how he talks about how, you know, a lot of times when when a potential client has you know and they've indicated like hey we want to go with you um you feel like your job is done you know you feel like like that's it all right with this the deal you know we sealed the deal even if the contract hasn't been signed yet but having that reassurance you know giving them allowing them to envision you know what those next steps are and getting specific about you know what your process is at that point is crucial for them to not start to think about like what did i really just say like what did i really just commit myself to like you know, like doubts can come up pretty quickly you know for a client people change their minds all the time and so having that reassurance making sure that you're confirming you know like hey here's exactly what we're going to get done now that you've said you know like we're that you intend on doing this that is key to making sure that you close deals mm -hmm. yeah he he says like we tend toward excitement at the time when he requires calm so right, he right. in the sense is declined so don't become overexcited because you know yeah he just needs reassurance like in this in this moment like you said he he needs to be reassured that everything is fine this is how we're going to do it this is the step-by-step -step plan yeah, the, the worst you can do is go, go, go completely off the walls and like, yeah, the, <laughs> right, those right, are the right. things we could achieve and this is yeah. the dream and this is the goal and everything. And then, like you said, he, he wakes up the next day and is like, oh my God, I right. what did I do? Like, what did right. I just sign? Yeah, well, also that excitement can be perceived as like being an amateur because mm. it's like if you're actually somebody who's done this before and has this expertise, it's just like another day in the office for you. You know, you should have right. that sort of calm, Right. vibe about you where it's like this is 
I've done this before. This is not not something that's novel. You know, like a, I'm not excited about this because I know exactly what's going to happen next. You know, so I think that's a, also a part of that sort of mindset shift. Yeah, so you have to really make sure to end the call before cheering until you close the deal. <laughs> and then you cheer. Then you like do your little dance yourself. Right, then you <laughs> go crazy with the with your colleagues. Let off the right. cool. <laughs> so the fifth proclamation here is we will do with words what we used to do with paper. And I think this is uh, kind of a continuation of, uh, what is that, number two, which is we will replace presentations with conversations. But yeah, Moylan, do you want to talk a little bit about this one? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to the whole point of the book, right? Like where he underlines again that there's no need for a pitch. Everything we do is a conversation with the client. So the only time when paper comes into play is when you sign the contract, when you put everything you already discussed and agreed on into written form and then have a signature underneath it. There is no need, there's yeah, there's just no need for a proposal in that in in that sense. Um and he mentioned like he also mentioned like when you look back at all the thing all the business you you got with clients, like was it really was it really the proposal that did the job or was it actually all the conversation that was before? Like, was it actually this, the times you sat down with the client and talked about who you are and like what their problem is and what, what you can do for them, right? Is it really the proposal that, that flips the switch in their head or is it more the personal uh, relationship that you had with the client beforehand? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, I think that that speaks to you know, how like this process of sales in, in, in a world that we live in where, you know, we see the the rise of the machine, <laughs> you know, we see like uh, all of this sort of like talk about automation and, you know, how all of these types of jobs are going to be taken over by automation. At the end of the day, you know, like all business is still happening person to person. It's about like people establishing relationships and the basis of that is like the conversations the words that you are exchanging between two people um if it was just about you know documents being sent a computer could do that there would be no sales process you know like we would have and if it was just about having specific deliverables and you know like putting those on a sheet of paper and sending them out we wouldn't we wouldn't be having any of these conversations about how to be better at sales. So yeah, this the idea that like a presentation or a proposal is what actually closes the business. It's almost never the case. It's like the feeling that you elicit in the client. And that's based off of that expertise that we're talking talking about, based off of that, that process of diagnosing before prescribing and and the conversation that you're having with that client to like actually get to know them and form your relationship. Mm. And it's also like that over investing that you do with the proposal, creating it, sending it, waiting for a response that creates like bare answers that creates buying resistance in the process because you spend hours on this written proposal um, where you just diagnose and prescribe for free, basically where you're not getting paid for your work, which is not good. 
it clearly sends the message that the client has all the power, which you don't want. You give them the upper hand and it's not a position you want to find yourself in, right? If you remember in the beginning how he stresses the point of control, right, of power and how it diminishes over time in your relationship and you want to start with as much power as possible in the process. And he also also says like it's it doesn't give the client the opportunity to be honest with you because he can feel basically that you need this business. You need it like to survive. You really want that business, right? Which is not a good good position again to be in when you start out the relationship because then he is like maybe very self-conscious and says like, oh my God, I cannot be honest with this with this agency now because they're so invested in me now um, and they have a hard time being honest with you and maybe say no to you, right? Or maybe say uh, this is maybe not a good good fit. Yeah, right. And also like you have to ask yourself why does the client need the proposal? It's probably to shop for a price or something like that or to compare or to, you know, assess the value even though he cannot really assess the value without just speaking with you because he probably has not had any experience in that and it's also you know if you want to impress him on paper it's very hard to do without actually engaging your brain to do some work for him so i really like the quote uh, from the book it says we do not begin to solve our clients problems before we are engaged i was about i was about to bring that up (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. And that's the point. Like giving them a proposal, sharing your ideas, sharing your expertise, you're already starting to solve their problem for you. And this is why, you know, so first of all, you know, if a client is asking for proposals, chances are they're probably not a good fit. Chances are that what they're valuing this work by is by price. They're looking for something that's going to, work for their budget the best and they're just going to get a bunch of different options and go with the one that fits their budget and so it's probably not someone you want to work with even though you know you you might have this mindset of like i want this i want this business you know i like i like this type of company or whatever it looks like it's kind of a red flag if they're asking for a proposal and again like daniel mentioned you're you don't want to be in this position where you're giving your ideas you're giving away your expertise for free so um don't don't start solving things until like the engagement has begun until you're actually getting paid for it Mm. yeah and you if you think that it's impossible like you know that every client is shopping for a price probably there is an issue with your positioning another great point there yeah you maybe you need to go back to the first proclamation and and make your specialization a little bit more apparent and thus your expertise a little bit more apparent. I like uh, also right. I like that he also asks the question where where you have um the client like why the client asked for a proposal that Daniel already mentioned, right? And he lists like a couple of those. Maybe you just want to list them here as well to just have it. So he might ask for a proposal to keep the hordes at bay, basically. There's so <laughs> many different agencies, right? Everyone has their specific expertise or things they do, right? And then getting a better overview of everyone available. Or um, the next one would be like to compare, right? Which is basically um, 
like what are the difference between them like how are they similar and how can i make the best possible decision right just that's just getting a proposal for the sake of just comparing in the end not really be interested in you as an agency but more oh there's another one well let's see what they have to offer right right uh, another one is like to measure value which is then the quality and price right determining what is the best value for the price they're giving and then uh, to gain to gain exp- inspiration is another one mm-hmm. um like maybe for themselves get, getting inspiration and they don't really want to use you at all but they just want to see oh well how would they solve this problem right and then just use that for whoever they choose in the end right and then uh, and the last one would be like or well, one before that is like to stall like sometimes the answer is no from the beginning but they just want to keep their options open right they stall uh, and maybe again like we said in in the beginning here maybe they don't feel comfortable saying no to you because you're so over invested so they want to stall you just with that and like say okay let's wait for their proposal although the answer is already no and in situations like that it is helpful to just get to that no as soon as possible right and always ask yourself the question is the client comfortable enough to actually say no to me right now or not right and also you know it's quite rare but it is possible that there are situations where you have to write the proposal maybe you're proposing for some you know conglomerate of medical uh, you know, institutions or something like that, where they really need a proposal, then you just can charge for it. Just, you know, don't work for right. free. And that's that's his point. In, in all these examples of why a client might be asking for a proposal, you're under no obligation to give them a proposal because of that. So like Daniel mentioned, it, you want to be in this place where you're starting to actually get paid for creating a proposal for, you know, this can be something that, it's called, you know, your discovery process or a diagnostic or something along those lines where you're, again, starting to understand, you're starting to diagnose their issues so that you can prescribe the best solution for them. I like, like again, his here, I like it a lot that he compares it again to doctors or accountants where he's saying something like doctors charge for MRIs, accountants charge for audits, lawyers charge for discovery. And we charge for our diagnostic work as well, whether it is a brand audit or discovery session that we conduct ourselves, outside research that we commission. So I like that he always brings it back to that, like, yeah, other industries do exactly the same. Why do we not do it the same way? Like, why why do we feel the need to be like, to have to present ourselves at first for free and put in all the work and then be like, and then have being said no to like why do why is there need in there like in the design or creative industry so 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 right that? yeah like three hours ago i just uh, you know i drove the broken tv to to a repair shop and i just like said what's the problem and they were like you know we have to diagnose it and this will be 21 euros mm-hmm. for diagnosis yeah. look at that then, real world example yeah that's how we and yet play. yeah and and a a counter example that i personally experienced so i remember in my early freelancing days when i was just designing websites for all sorts of different businesses i had this potential client it was a law firm it was a new law firm and they needed a website and i talked with them about it i talked with you know i i essentially went through a little bit of that diagnosis process um, and 
then I had the big pitch day where I, you know, had a presentation about like, here's what I was going to provide for them. And I thought it went really well. And then I just like never heard back from them again. And I'd put all this time and effort into this process and got paid nothing for it. You know, and that was the first time for me where I was like, okay, this is not, this is not the way it should work. You know, like I, I've got to, I've got to change this yeah. for sure. Definitely. For me as well, the same story happened. I actually even designed a little bit of the website for the proposal because, you know, when you're uh, getting, you know, like you're work about to work with a very big client, you usually, you know, just forget about your principles and stuff like that so you just oh like you know i'll just design a little bit just to impress them and have the big client so i actually did the design work for like three or four days and then i had to go to their office 150 kilometers by car <laughs> so just drove to another town <laughs> and so so and they really like the design and stuff like that and then i came back to to you know uh, home wrote a proposal with a price and then there was an issue with the mm -hmm. price so i just lost like time and and money right i'm sure we everyone's kind of had one of those stories where they get burned and hopefully that's the point at which you start to change your strategies and start to implement these proclamations of the win without pitching manifesto so the sixth Sixth proclamation is we will be selective. And this plays really nicely into what we were just talking about, which is that along with being specialized, along with, you know, making sure that you are not giving away your ideas for free, you want to make sure that the clients that you're working with are of a particular quality and they fit your needs this goes along with the whole sort of mindset shift of not just being excited for all sorts of new business you know being open to all sorts of new opportunity get very selective with who you're going to be working with because what that does is like it's i i see it i see it as like this positive feedback loop because you start to specialize and you start to have conversations with these people up front and diagnose their problems and provide more adequate solutions. And those provide better results for that client. And as a result of that, you become more selective with who you can work with. And as a result of that, you get more specialized. You, under, you start to understand their problems more appropriately. And you go into that next conversation with a, a potential new client with them realizing, oh, wow, they know my industry almost as well as I do. And it, 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 it becomes this positive feedback loop where you become more spe specialized and that allows you to be more selective and it kind of just feeds off of each other. Yeah, like, I like the, the quote he has in, in this chapter. It is human nature to follow what retreats from us and to back away from what advances. So playing into the fact that in this situation, like we will be selective that means you retreat at that point you 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 be you will be very very selective with who you work with right and the the client can can feel that retreat like and wants to then be even more open with you in that situation 
like go after you. It's kind of like this back and forth, like kind of a dance, right? Where you show a lot of strength and power up front, but then once you are in the situation, you kind of retreat back and be very selective and clients can smell that basically. And, and it's almost like they can feel that you are very high standards and you have a very specific idea what the fit looks like to you, right? Definitely. And it's, it's coming from a place of abundance. Mm -hmm. Like instead of being in like scarcity where it's like any, any project is a good project, you know, instead of having that mindset, it's like the best project, the best fit is the best project. And you're not going to settle for anything less than that. Definitely. And if there is no fit, it doesn't mean that it's bad or something like that. I really like the paragraph where he says that no is the second best answer. So like if you hear no, it's it's better to just get to it as quickly as possible to know that it's not the right fit and not to waste time and resources. Right. Maybe is is not as good as no is. <laughs> exactly. You might true. be wasting your time at that point. Mm. Right. Yeah, and, and you, you also don't want to, like you, you want to raise objections as fast as possible. You don't want to wait for the client to raise objections. For, for example, like Belair talks about um, the point of like uh, bringing the objection up front in terms of price, right? If you know you're very expensive, you don't want to wait for the client to say, oh, you're very expensive. You want to say, uh, and I quote here, like, um, we might say, I'm a little concerned about the ability and organization of your size has to afford us or like if they can afford you in this situation, right? So that's kind of a nice way to twist it around. Like it's because you're very selective, you ask the questions and you bring up these issues right up in, in the meeting you have, right? And that that puts then the ball into his in, on, onto his side, right? To do something about it. And then he has to basically explain himself or herself to you why we actually a good fit right no 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 uh, we can afford you and like it's no problem <laughs> and, right, right put, exactly it's like a power play again right like but it, it's it's very valid in that situation you you want to be the the selector definitely and right a, a so lot, sorry go ahead Daniel. yeah i just wanted to add like you know it, it helps to just think that even not think but know that you are the truth and you're just helping the client to see like just asking questions uh, for a client for him to help him find out why why it is like why your truth is true if that makes sense definitely well yeah there you have it those are the first six proclamations of the 12 proclamations of the win without pitching manifesto we're going to get back into this in our next book review episode but we'll leave you there with those think about those six proclamations think about how you can start to incorporate those into your business pursuits maybe even pick up a copy of this and you can join along uh, in our next episode and we'll be back again with the final six proclamations of the Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Inns.